This is the organic stream. Welcome. If you look at the history of civilization, there is a direct relationship between the decline of soil quality and the decline of those civilizations. All these things came from the earth. They need to go back to the earth. We're not just keeping this stuff out of the landfill and making it product. And that's the attitude you have to take. Every single day, somebody knocks on your door and says, Can I have your way to do Hi there, and welcome to a new season of the Organic Stream podcast with your host, Aline Murphy. We're back after a break with a great new lineup of expert guests to talk about all things organic and recycling. This week is a special week here at compoststory.org because we're kicking off this new series, but also in bigger news, we're releasing Lesson 5 of our online video course in organics management in the next coming days. The lesson is quite an exhaustive study on how legislation and policy should set the stage for implementing successful organics recovery systems, so do stay tuned for the release. For updates and news, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or sign up to our newsletter as well on our website. And now in other news, for waste experts, policymakers and activists tuning in, Zero Waste Europe are hosting their international training course on organics management on the 13th to 15th of October in San Sebastian, Spain this year. The course is conducted through English and provides the knowledge and skills needed for implementing high quality source separation and treatment of organic waste, as well as including site visits to local communities and industrial compost facilities. So for those interested, go to www.zerowasteeurope.eu and click on the Upcoming Events page to find more information and to register. Now onto the show, and in these next couple of episodes, we're going to be in New York City taking a closer look at composting and organics collection schemes. As I'm sure some of you know, there's a lot going on in New York at the moment with regards to composting. In the autumn of 2012, the Department of Sanitation, the DSNY, began offering curbside collection of organic waste to select schools, residences and institutions. In 2013, the pilot program was codified into law and the DSNY are now required to carry out the program until 2015 and it is expanding. At the same time, community composting programs are also expanding, as are the drop-off collection points for food waste around the city. So we thought it was a perfect time to dive right in and learn more about how a megacity like New York goes about implementing a curbside collection scheme and the important role community compost plays within the city. We'll be focusing on the curbside collection scheme in the next episode, but for this week, we're taking a closer look into the community composting movement and talking to longtime community composter and consultant currently working at added value Red Hook Community Farm in Brooklyn, David Buckle. David will be telling us about the history of community composting in New York, how it can foster environmental stewardship in the community, and how in turn it can directly benefit larger organics recycling systems, but also how it can sometimes be in conflict with those systems. He'll also tell us about the challenges they currently face and the opportunities on the horizon. Now before we start the interview, we'd like to thank Orbis for making this episode possible. As a leader in organic waste recycling, Orbis has a wide range of plastic curbside organic recycling bins and carts to choose from to help you improve recycling rates, conserve natural resources and help the environment. With value-added educational programming, community outreach and environmental expertise, Orbis helps communities meet their organic waste diversion goals while improving the health of the planet. And now, here's David. 
So David, I'm just going to give a bit of background here. Um, the community composting movement is growing very strong in New York at the moment. At the DSNY, for example, who started their NYC compost project in 1993 to support local composting programs, now support over 200 composting sites and 8 to 10 mid-sized operations as well in the five boroughs. And the collection points for dropping off food scraps at green markets are growing in number two. More than half of the green markets' farmers' markets are outfitted now with a drop-off program. And as a long-time community composter yourself, you're right on the ground watching all of this happen. Can you give me a brief picture then of what community composting looks like today? So quite a bit depends upon how you define community composting. Um, there's an awful lot of community composting going on in New York City. There's quite a bit going on in terms of closing the loop, and a lot of that is in the community gardens around the city. Folks will bring their kitchen scraps to their community garden where they get composted in small systems. What there's less of is community composting that is defined not only as trying to close the loop as much as possible on organic material, but also engaging the public as much as possible so that we can promote more environmental stewardship. Interesting. So that's definitely an area that needs to be looked at more. But community composting has had a long history in New York, hasn't it? Uh, community composting, I think, has been fairly strong to a certain degree in New York because of the presence of community gardens around the city. New York City is unusual in having hundreds of community gardens. Uh, I think what's new for community composting is adding in the public engagement and trying to make sure that capacity grows more. So the community gardens can take organic material to a degree, but at some point it's just too much for them because their systems are usually quite small. So we're trying to develop more sites that have bigger capacity and can take more organics. I see. Yeah. So that's the priority right now. And I know that the DSNY are currently responsible as well for taking some of that organic material that community composters aren't able to handle. So that's one way they help support the movement. But if we focus now on the bigger picture and the government support, in terms of a vision for community composting, many, including yourself, are in favour of small scale decentralised models that prioritise closing the loop. Can you tell me then what policymakers have in mind for community composting in the city? Uh, we haven't yet seen a strong vision articulated in New York City by policymakers for the future of community composting. Um, what, what I have experienced is more of basically helping what already is happening. So assistance for community gardens and things like that. Uh, Department of Sanitation has been very helpful in terms of developing slightly larger sites that can take more material. But I haven't seen a vision that essentially articulates where we want to be in the future 20 years from now. Okay, so what you see then is the lack of coherent vision for community composting. But then why do you think that is? Because we know how challenging it is for them to coordinate all of the different aspects in such a large city, as well as rolling out such a large collection program as well. Um, I think it's just that... Uh, Perhaps they haven't been challenged enough to realize that this is the sort of thing that we will have to confront sooner or later. Because to me, there's no way to get around the future in terms of closing the loop on the travel of organics. 
we will sooner or later have to find ways to make sure that organics are not traveling large distances in order to be processed. So we think that's the kind of vision that has to be articulated at the policymaking level. And then everything else comes along with it. You know, if we optimize community-based composting as much as we can, uh, because our cities in the U.S. at least have been so badly designed, there's no question that we will also need curbside pickup as a municipal function. We'll also need commercial composting. We'll need all of those things. But what we're not seeing is a vision that's big enough, that's future thinking enough to say, we have to optimize community-based composting first and foremost, and then pull in all of these other elements to best address the organics. Yes, and we'd agree with that as well. And I suppose all that's needed then is an overarching and coherent policy to bring them all together in the right balance. Now, but before we get more into the bigger picture things, um, since our audience is international and won't necessarily be familiar with the system in New York, can you tell us a little bit more about how things work today with community composting? Um, How are the organics collected and processed, that kind of thing? One of the most exciting things going on in New York City in terms of organics being collected is a farmer's market collection program. It's run by a group called Grow NYC, which has several green farmer's markets around the city. And they have tables where folks can bring their food scraps from home to the farmer's market. They drop off the food scraps, then they buy their food to take home where they will make food scraps that then come back to the farmer's market the next week. So it's a wonderful local cycle for the organics uh, stream. And the food scraps are distributed to different sites around the city, within the city limits, uh, one of which is one where I spend a lot of my time called the Red Hook Community Farm in Brooklyn, New York. And so we will be getting that material from farmer's markets actually in the borough of Brooklyn closer by. And we also maintain tumblers so that community residents who can't compost at home can walk their food scraps over and put them in the tumblers. And that material will wind up in our larger system over time. That's really great. And do you see a lot of people participating in this or is it gaining in popularity? It's it's growing more and more popular as people uh, hear about it. They've just passed the three million pound mark in terms of the collections they have done. So it's it's gotten to be a quite big big of a scale, and they seem to be adding new farmers markets every year. So that's very exciting. Another exciting development is um, the Department of Sanitation has begun to support the development of urban farms. And you'll see a very similar type of magic happening because at the urban farms, uh, often they will have farm stands where they'll sell locally grown fresh produce right next to the fields where the produce is grown. And so folks will come and buy that produce. And when they come, they bring their food scraps. And this is what happens at Red Hook, uh, Brooklyn. Because folks will, just like the farmer's markets, they'll bring their food scraps, drop them off in our tumblers, and then buy some produce at the farm stand and then go back home and create a very nice local circle that's a closed loop for the organics. Mm -hmm. Very good. And how is the organic material typically collected then from the farmer's markets and the urban gardens? Uh, Well, added values, Red Hook Community Farm, uh, the material is brought to us. So local residents will walk it or bicycle the material from their homes. Um, And then we get some of the scraps from the Grow NYC's farmer's markets. And that's brought to us by a truck in bins, plastic bins. 
Um, and the big difference is that's just traveling, you know, within Brooklyn as opposed to having trucks drive on highways and, and down streets. We have smaller truck as opposed to the big trucks that get loaded up that then have to drive outside the city for a distance to transport the material. That's really great. And um, of course, one issue we often talk about as well with organics recycling is, um, and the collection as well, is the contamination rate. And the quality of organics collected has been described as pristine in New York at the moment. And would you agree with that description? And uh, what's been your experience? Uh, well, I can't speak for the city. Uh, what I see happening is that in terms of the material collected, the farmer's markets with very, very clean uh, material that's being dropped off. Uh, in particular because the folks who go to the trouble of collecting their food scraps and then bringing them to one of the community sites once a week or so um, are very conscientious and so our level of contaminants are extremely low. That's really good to hear. And I want to get your thoughts as well on how community composting benefits other composting operations like curbside collection in a moment. But first, um, I'd like to ask you, with the DSNY managing an ever-expanding residential curbside collection scheme for New York City, can community composting be an integral part of that system or are they at odds with one another? In my view, uh, they are in direct conflict and in great odds in some ways, and it depends upon the vision that is articulated for policy in a city. So, for example, um, when I started this uh, work, I talked to some folks in Toronto who were very active in trying to promote sustainability with regard to how organics were treated in the city. And they had a choice. They had to either support community composting and invest in that uh, as much as possible or invest their time in trying to develop curbside pickup. And they chose curbside pickup because they felt like it could be a bridge to community composting. And what they told me was the exact opposite happened. Uh, because they had never developed a culture of people trying to keep their organics as local as possible, which would be community-based composting, um, once the curbside started, it was very challenging to get to that culture because people could just put things out on the curb and they got into the habit of that. And so now what they're looking at is a much longer time frame for persuading the public that it would be better for their organics to stay much closer to home because it's more environmentally sustainable. And so in that way, I think Toronto shows that curbside municipal pickup and community composting can be at odds and in conflict if there's no vision of policy that says we need to be developing community composting as much as we possibly can. Well, at the same time, we recognize that not everything can come to a community-based compost site. We do also need curbside municipal pickup. But you see, that kind of vision doesn't see them at odds. That kind of vision says, let's do what's most environmentally sustainable first and develop community composting as much as we can, and then recognize we also have to do curbside municipal pickup as well as commercial composting. That's different from what happened in Toronto, where it seemed to be that it was posed as a choice, one or the other, and now my colleagues up there are saying it will take them so much longer to ever develop community-based composting. Okay, I see. Well, then that definitely is something to bear in mind. And so I guess the challenge is in deciding what organics go where. 
And again, that brings us back to policymakers needing a vision. But now maybe to highlight a bit more why community composting is so important, let's talk about the benefits of community composting. I'm sure you agree with me in saying that community composting schemes can really make an impact in educating people on organics recycling and the importance of keeping the stream clean. That's true. Um, one, one benefit of community composting is um, unlike glass or plastic or metal, it's, it's much easier actually for the public to participate in the process when it comes to composting organics. They can't as likely do that with glass, metal, paper. But with community composting, they can go you know, very close to their home contribute to the compost process, and um, if it's the type of the site that places a value on community participation, volunteer in making the compost with their own hands. And that has several uh, benefits. One is if the material is going to be used in their community, they get much more invested in it because they see that it's going to be used for a local urban farm or for street trees or for a food garden at their local public school where their kids attend. And so there's a much stronger connection to it and more dedication and more commitment. But they also just start to care more about composting in general. So one effect of community composting, if it's optimized, is that people will care more about what they're putting out on the curb as well. So they may take some to community sites, but if they're going to put some on the curb for pickup, they may know the importance of not having contaminants if they've participated at a community compost site. So they will be more careful that way. Yeah, so that's really interesting. And um, just on the note of education, how do you draw people in and get them interested? Um, I've never found it hard at the site in Red Hook Community Farm. If As long as you post hours that are consistent, so we put hours up on our website and people can check to see when they can volunteer, get in touch with different volunteer groups to let them know uh, what the opportunity is. Very quickly, things take off. And then the question is not so much, how do we get people here? It's more about, ooh, is that too many people? Or um, how do we best manage this so everyone can have a meaningful experience, given how many people are here? It's a great problem to have. It is. It's a wonderful problem. But it, it demonstrates, you know, it just further demonstrates the importance of community composting, that there's a hunger on the part of so many to participate in this type of work. Yeah, I think so too, definitely. And um, for those out there who might not be convinced yet of the benefits of community composting, is there any more benefits you've seen that you'd like to mention? Well, there's certainly, you know, at the top of the list, it's better for the environment. It reduces environmentally costly transport by so many trucks on the streets. Um, it better supports local food growing. Um, but it also helps other green projects in communities. So if folks want to green up their community with more street trees, with more flower gardens, with more food gardens, there's more compost available locally to do that. Um, and then here in New York City, after the last hurricane we had, which was so devastating, by building up our urban soils and improving stormwater management through community composting, we make ourselves more resilient uh, in the face of climate change. And the last hurricane Hurricane Sandy that came through New York and so devastated us made that all the more important. And lastly, over time, if we can develop community composting sufficiently according to the broad vision of what's the most sustainable way to live, it will generate jobs. Um, we're not there yet. We're trying. I don't know. I'm actually running a job training program out at the Red Hook Community Farm and 
um, it's uh, it has to get much bigger, the community composting movement, in order to start actually generating jobs. That's a great thing to bring up, actually, because we're very interested ourselves in creating self-sustaining models that benefit the economy and society as a whole. And I think composting and recycling definitely have a lot of potential in that area, especially with creating jobs. So I guess in part from growing the community composting movement and the sites themselves, what are your main problems or focuses right now in creating jobs? Um, I think... One important development we need now, and we're so ready for this, is we need to start generating revenue uh, models because it's. Uh, I can't help but think that for community composting to be successful, we're going to have to have some funding streams. The ones that have been developed for commercial enterprises don't work because the goals of community composting are a little different. But on the other hand, community composting can't be just a nonprofit endeavor because over time you would just wind up chasing grants all the time. And if one sign of success for community compost sites is that there are more community compost sites, the problem you have is that the foundation pie you know, of grants gets smaller and smaller. And so much like with urban agriculture, at least in the U.S., the answer has to be over time to get a little more business-like, to pay more attention to generating revenue, so that even though we may continue to turn to foundations for grants, we also have some generation of revenue to develop financially sustainable models of operation. Excellent points. And I'm curious now to know, what's the market like for compost in New York at the moment? Is it strong? It is. Uh, before the hurricane, we were able to meet the farm's needs and start to explore some markets. And we found that many buyers were willing to pay a premium, that is, pay more than they otherwise would, because they knew it was locally made compost. Um, and they wanted to support that movement. So there was a this great untapped market of people who wanted to support the local economy, um, keeping things as environmentally sustainable as possible. Um, and other elements like that. So there is a lot of potential for revenue there, which is great. And sticking with the topic of problems or issues that you might be having, New York is a very densely populated area, which I'm sure brings its own unique challenges to community composting as well. So um, what challenges have you faced as a community composter in the city? Uh, I think one is a lack of the broadest vision of where community composting should be across five years, then 10 years, and then ultimately 25 when we want it to be what it should be. So as a result of that, people too superficially discount community composting with observations like, well, there's just not enough land, or, well, we can't divert all of our organics to community composting. It can't solve our problem, and so we have to do municipal curbside pickup. So it's a lack of vision. Um, the other thing are existing laws. Not that there was any bad intention in the creation of these laws. In fact, in New York City, some of the most applicable laws were intended to address the problem of organized crime being involved in the hauling industry. And that's an important mission, but the unintended side effect was that the laws impede the growth of community composting, in particular with regard to commercial organics. The current law does not allow those organics to flow unimpeded to community-based compost sites. 
Um, and it's been very discouraging because there's so many young people in particular very excited to be environmental stewards, to develop bicycle carting businesses and things of that sort. And they're deterred from the outset. And quite often they give up and they turn to other uh, environmental work. Hopefully we don't lose them all together in terms of environmental work, but it's sad that their passions get deterred at the outset. Yeah, that is very sad. Um, but I saw there is a petition now to get them to change the laws. There is a petition now. Um, some folks are trying to get food businesses in New York City to ask the city legislators to change these laws. So the hope is that that will gain some force. But I think the problem is um, uh, a lot of discouragement because it doesn't seem like the policymakers are there. And without that kind of support, it just it can be overwhelming in a city like this. That's a real shame, but um, hopefully it will work out in the end. Oh, I think it will. I mean, things are gradually changing. One of the big problems we have had is folks who are able to stick with it and keep trying and keep trying often look for uh, ways to educate themselves about how to be community composters. And um, unfortunately, up until now in the compost industry, all of the educational opportunities are geared toward uh, commercial folks. And the downside is that a lot of people who do community composting will go to these trainings and they'll come back thinking that the answer to their problems is machines. So the way we can get more done is if we have a, a bucket loader or we have a grinder. They start thinking the way a large commercial facility would think. And I can tell you from personal experience that once machines show up at a site, the people disappear. And that's a big problem when folks start reaching for machines because then the other goal to engage the public and get the public involved starts to disappear because the machines are there to do the work and then the people see themselves as less relevant and less important. But we're just now starting to get some videos out and some more information out that is actually for community composters. Instead of coming from the compost industry, which really doesn't think about community composters, it's actually coming from community composters themselves. So there's more material for other community composters to work with so that they can keep their focus on people and on community. That is really great to know. And it's great to hear that it's all starting to come together. And with the development of more composting sites as well, I suppose you'll have more experiences and case studies to draw from. Uh, but now we're running out of time. So for the final question, what advice can you give our listeners who might be thinking of starting their own community composting sites where they live? Um, yeah, I think I'd say a num number of things to folks who are excited about trying to build some community composting where they live. One is... Uh, it's important to find the people who are more interested in action than talking, people who are not afraid to do work with shovels and pitchforks. I think the, the danger sign would be when instead people want to talk about doing a bunch of flyers and making a website and developing stickers and planning out how to get to 30 different restaurants or 50 different households. Uh, I'll tell you uh, one story I can tell you is that uh, I had a couple individuals who were very excited about doing this, and, and that's the road they went down. And they started making all these big, huge plans that were taking months and months of planning. And I said, well, why don't you try something? Why don't you try doing a pickup from just one restaurant and getting that processed? Just, just try that for me to see if you can do that. Because, you know, of course, you know, if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be making all these plans. And it turned out they couldn't do it. And so for folks who are interested, it's a good test. And then that leads to my second piece of advice, which is to start small 
because many people feel like they have to have it all planned out and go big. Whereas if you just start with one or two restaurants or maybe a dozen households, see if you can do that first and control odors and control rats. And if you can, that's fantastic, and you can build up and get bigger. But don't spend all this time making big, huge plans when really you're not able to pull off the practicalities of it all yet. And then I think uh, the last thing I'd say is um, to be guided by a strong vision for what you want to achieve. Because so many people will tell you all the different obstacles in the way, like there's not enough land, you know, you can't have odors, you can't have rats. When if there's a strong vision which says community composting sooner or later will be what we have to do in the future because it's environmentally the most sustainable. It keeps organic close as possible in the loop. Um, If you just remember that is it, then when people say all the negative things, you can say, well, I know that might mean it takes us longer, but we know we're going to get there. And then they can keep up their good spirits. They're on the right side of history. They certainly are. Well said. Um, That's all we have time for today, though, David. So thanks a million for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Aline. All right. All the best. All right. Good luck. That was David Buckle for the Organic Stream podcast show. If you have any questions or comments, find us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is CompostStory.org, Facebook, and on our website, CompostStory.org. That's all we have time for this week. Tune in next week for our Mega City special on rolling out a residential organics collection scheme in New York City with the Director of the Recycling Unit at DSNY's Bureau of Waste Prevention, Reuse and Recycling, Bridget Anderson. All the best and see you next week.